you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks episode number 148. I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City doing the show solo today, but we have a guest, Alex Fishman. Alex, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it. My name is Alex Fishman. I'm founder and CEO of Bugsy. So we brought you on the show today to talk about Bugsy, but you've actually got a pretty interesting background. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I, before going into the startup space, I've spent 16 years working in digital camera space. I used to work on pretty much every third digital camera ever shipped in the world. So before iPhone killed the entire space. And the... That includes Nikon, Sony, Olympus, Pentax, every brand you can mention, probably with the exception of Canon. They used, used to be very vertically integrated in using third parties. And the, the last five years of these 16 years in the digital camera industry I spent in Lytro. I was one of the founding members, members of the team. Back uh, before Lytro became Lytro, it was a different technology company straight out of Stanford, Stanford trying to figure out what they can do with this amazing, incredible technology. And then uh, we were four people for north of a bit uh, of about two years. And then uh, eventually we decided to build our own camera and then, you know, raise more money, start growing. It was an amazing journey for me. Spent uh, five years there total. And then I left in 2000 and what is it? 13. My daughter was born then. Yes. And then decided to do my own startup since I've been there for the past five years, something like that. Yes. Cool. Well, at five years old, startup, it starts to become a stretch. You're actually doing pretty well if you're lasting that long. Well, Bugsy is not actually five years old. Bugsy is about two and a half years old before we had a different startup that we actually had to shut down. We we raised $2.8 million. We built we a team. We generated revenue. And the revenue was growing. But at some point, despite having a huge amount of money, most of the money that we had raised out of the 2.8 was still in the bank. We sat down with my team and realized that, you know, our revenue is not growing fast enough to become one of the two. Either we become profitable or it would become interesting enough to raise the next round of financing. So we decided to come back to our investors and said, like, you know, we want to shut down. Like we, you know, we don't want to be one of those startups that run this into the ground. And investors agreed. We shut down the company within the next couple of days. And then uh, when we came back to return the remaining funds, which at the time was around $1.7, $1.8 million still in the bank, the investors appreciated the fact that we preemptively made the decision. And they actually let us keep the remaining funds. And uh, Dmitry, my co-founder, and I 
spent the, the remaining part of 2015 trying to figure out how we want to repurpose that. That's how Bugsy was actually born in January of 2016. So that's, you know, so Bugsy is only two and a half years old, but the, the legacy and the story is much longer than that. Oh, that's an interesting story. So I don't think it's uh, very common for investors to say, yeah, shut down the company and keep the money because we think you'll do do good stuff with it, you know, whatever you're doing. Well, I don't know how common it is, but, you know, you don't hear much of that, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, investors appreciated the fact that we, you know, decided on our own that we just, you know, we tried, we gave it a full shot. You know, we had a team, we had customers, we have happy customers and growing revenue just wasn't interesting enough to continue pushing through. And they they trusted us with their remaining funds. And I actually put, post, uh, put a blog post about that a couple of years ago on me on my Medium. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it attracted a lot of attention back when I published that. So it doesn't sound like you – it sounds like Bugsy is fairly different from a lot of the stuff you had worked on you know, previously in your career in that it's, it's mobile-focused. It's, it's a pure software thing, whereas you, it sounds like you were working on some hardware stuff with the digital camera businesses before. Why Bugsy? Why did you decide to go mobile? Well, to your original question was fundamentally different from what I used to do before. Yes and no, because first of all, I'm a software engineer by training, and I started my career in digital camera as an embedded software engineer. And throughout my career in 16 years in digital cameras, imaging and the video was a huge element of what we had to deal with and optics and all of other cool stuff that cameras used to do. I mean, they're still doing it in a completely different form. And the, another aspect is uh, digital cameras, especially 20 years ago, are extremely constrained environment. They're battery powered, very low power uh, processors with very, with very little memory and very constrained operating systems. So that actually trains you to operate in a whole different game of writing software in a way that, you know, you know, counting every single bit, counting every single cycle. So, and also similar, uh, similarly, my, my co-founder, Mitri, he has a similar background. They coming from embedded in a DVD space where, you know, Netflix, Netflix killed that space. So he built probably every fourth DVD player ever shipped in the world. So it's very similar. It's an embedded low level environment where it requires a lot of, you know, coding in a constrained environment. Plus imaging and video is a huge element of what needs to be done. So that's why Bugsy somewhat, uh, you know, builds on top of this foundation that Dmitry and I are coming from of a constraint environment, imaging, and video experience. Oh, very cool. I My my own background is actually as a hardware engineer, so I've done a fair amount of embedded software development firmware and, and even some some video, embedded video stuff. So yeah. that's cool. So you know how it is fundamentally different from a typical development? E- yes, yes. Uh, well, certainly typical app, app development. Exactly. Know, where everybody thinks, oh, I have all the RAM and CPU time in the world. And I'll think <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you need another you know, Amazon server, just add another server. It's not a big yeah. deal, right? <laughs> so very different things, right? You know, some of the things we do right now for Bugsy is like written in assembly, right? Oh wow! So why don't you why don't you tell us what is Bugsy? What what yeah. what is the whole point of it? <laughs> well, yeah, probably a good time. Yeah, so Bugsy is a bug and crash reporting tool for mobile apps, iOS, Android, and a couple of cross-platform app solutions. The way we work, we we sit in your app and record everything at all times. Which means by the time you have a bug or a crash or some sort of misbehavior, we already recorded everything. So you can go back to our dashboard and replay everything. And when I say everything, let me just enumerate it quickly. That includes video of user action. So everything the user is seeing, all the, all the frames that are displayed on the screen, all the touch events, all the traces in the system, all the console logs. 
uh, and all the network requests, including body, which means you have a 60-second buffer at all times of what was happening in the system, what the user was experiencing, what the user was doing, what the phone was doing, and you can actually understand what had led to the problems. So sometimes you see it, a, for example, let's take a crash, for example. You see that you're dividing by zero is sometimes okay. That's kind of obvious. But sometimes like you're wondering how the hell does zero get there in the first place? And turns out that you were working, walking down the street and the, you know, AT&T disappeared and your Uber API failed. And that's why there is a zero there. And that's why, but you can't recreate this anymore in your lab environment because you know, your AT&T or Wi-Fi is reliable there. You just can't recreate this environment anymore. But because in our case, we already recorded, you don't have to worry about the recreation. You have to worry about the, the surrounding environment. We already recorded everything. So that's in a nutshell what Bugsy does. It's an SDK that you add to your app with literally one line of code. And that's the amazing part. We go deep into the system on our own and try to collect this, all the information. So you, have to, you don't have to tell us what you want to record. We go and record everything at all times. And then by the time there is a problem, we already recorded it for you, so you can go and analyze that. What kind of overhead is there to recording video all the time? Well, that's one of the beauties that what, what we do. We actually design the, our video recording in a way that it doesn't impact the performance of the app in any shape or form. Otherwise, basically, nobody would use it. That's the simpler answer, and we have tons of customers live in production. So Bugsy passes all App Store certification that adheres to all Apple rules uses only public APIs. It does not impact the performance of the UI. It does not impact the performance of the app. And the, and it works. And it produces high-quality, high-frame-rate video on top of everything else that I've mentioned. And that's pretty cool. You, you, you're the only, you guys are the only ones I've heard of doing this. Is that true? Absolutely. We have a unique IP that we have developed uh, over the course of the past couple of years that, we, that allows us to do it. Nobody in the market... Uh, knows how uh, how to record video and production apps without impacting the performance of the app or crashing the app to begin with. And that actually creates a couple of problems for us because there are players in the space that claim they have video, but the details matter. When you actually go and try to see what they mean by the same video, they, you know, that's a very different story. Well, this is, uh, I mean, I, I haven't used Bugsy in an app, but it's, I can certainly see the need for it. I I've worked on apps where, you know, they're they're quite complicated and particularly the user interaction model is fairly complicated and you get a crash report and you and you somehow know that, you know, the user has gotten this into a state that we didn't expect, but I don't really you're looking at a, a stack trace in a crash log and you don't understand at all what led up to that, even if you can see, you know. Absolutely. And sometimes it's like, so there's video, there's all the user touches, but there are traces. Like, for example, the phone was rotated, you plug the cable, it started charging, you went to background, you came back, the Bluetooth disappeared. All these things are being recorded all time. So that's all synchronous to the video. Then there is console logs. Everything the app is printing. Again, we are the only ones on the market that knows how to record it. It's an iOS 10 and iOS 11 in production apps. So all the printouts from the app are being recorded synchronous to the video. And then on top of that, all the network requests including by the HTTP, HTTPS, are being recorded all times and then synced to the video. And again, you don't have to funnel the APIs. We're not asking you to say, like, whatever your HTTP request, go and funnel through us. We'll just go and do it for you. So you just add one line of code, and whatever you do for your network communication, we'll go and figure it out and present it for you. So, like, it's really easy to add, and you don't have to... The way I like to say it, like, to our customers, like, if you decide to join at the Bugsy and add it to your project, you don't have to tell the rest of the team. They don't have to do anything. They have to change the way they think. They don't have to wait, change their workflow. Everything continues to work as it is, and Bugsy works in a very deeper level and collects, collects everything for you. 
What if you do want to customize your usage of it, though? Do you? Do you of course, we have tons of APIs to give you, you know, custom information. For example, we give you opportunity to feed custom information to us, like you know, in your internal variables that we normally wouldn't have access to. Or, for example, if you have a like a custom, concerns about some privacy fields, so there are fields that you don't want to record, then obviously we give you the APIs to cover them. I think one of the things that comes to mind immediately when you hear this is what about privacy? Because, uh, you know, certainly for many apps, users have things that are displayed on screen that they don't necessarily want you or anyone else to be able to see. How do you deal with that? Absolutely. That's a wonderful question, Andrew. And it really depends on the nature of the app because there are different kind of apps. So, like, let me give you, like, you know, two examples. One example is a browser or mail app, right? So, you know, obviously those apps deal with a lot of personal information where you browse your websites or you on your email. That's obviously very, very sensitive information. On the other hand, there are apps that are, you know, like gaming or, for example, it even takes Bank bank apps. So on one hand, bank is the most sensitive information you can think of. But on the other hand, whatever the the, the display is showing you on the, on the on your screen, bank already has this information, right? They know what your transactions are. They know what your balance is. So all this information is already available to the bank. So in, in, at the end of the day, what we record, we don't record any personal information that bank doesn't know you about you already. Obviously, I'm oversimplifying this just to make a point. Obviously, the situation here is way way more complex. But the bottom line is like every app has different uh, nature of what kind of personal information dealing with. And for that, we have various solutions. So we have fundamentally four things that we do. Number one, we automatically, within this one line of code you have to add, we detect passwords and credit cards, and we remove them from the recording. And when I say remove, it's done directly on the phone. It doesn't hit our servers, and then it's being processed. So it's automatically being blacked out with a black rectangle while it's still on the phone of the user. So it never leaves the user's device. That's number one. Number two, we give, we have a set of APIs that you can cover certain fields, certain areas of the app, or a certain period or time frame that you don't want to record. So we have the APIs to do that if you have certain fields. Then number three, we have, we have developed a special mode of recording the video in a way that it allows you to mean, to understand the flow of the, and the navigation of the app. However, none of the text is readable. So you can't read any of the text. So the text is scrambled. So there's a special mode we have developed for our customers in the medical space. As you can imagine, medical space uh, customers, they are very concerned about privacy. And uh, for them to cover too many fields was like too hectic to go and just mark all the fields they don't want Bugsy to record. So it's like they came to us and it's like, can you come up with a solution that allows us not to do that? And that's what we did. We automatically all the text fields are not readable. However, you still follow. You can follow the navigation, and that's one flag in special mode. And then, so that's number three. And number four that we do because sensitive information is not only can be found in video; it can be also found in network calls and in console logs. So we have APIs to filter out sensitive information there as well. Oh, that's very cool. So it seems like, I mean, I expected that kind of answer, but you've got it very well covered. Uh, otherwise, huge, huge numbers of developers wouldn't really be able to use um, what you're offering. I, I, I do wonder about, you know, what, what's the model for users knowing that this is going on, perhaps granting permission, that kind of thing? So it's boils down to, again, to the nature of the app, and it's between our customers and their users. 
you know, we provide the tools and it's up to our customers to decide what exactly they, what exactly permissions they collect from their users and what they include in their privacy policy. All right. Well, I suppose that makes sense. Some of this has gotten, uh, some of this seems like it's gotten more complex in the last few months with the GDPR stuff, but it also means that developers are thinking about it more, which I think. And it's wonderful. And it's wonderful. It's important. We need to protect users' privacy. And therefore, we, what we actually explicitly tell our customers, do not send us any personal information. We don't want to deal with it. Exactly. You know, you don't send us a credit card number. You know, just, we don't want to have that. And it's on our customers to make sure it doesn't hit us. I mean, specifically on the credit card number, it's easy because we automatically detect it and we don't send it ourselves. But it's just an example. This is the part of the podcast where I wish we had video because mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what, what Bugsy looks like to a developer. I mean, you've, you've, you've put the thing in your app. I take it you've got some kind of web dashboard. Yeah. What do you see there? How do you find out if your app is crashing and, and, you know, and then dig into that? Yes, it's interesting. So I've been doing this demo for years now, but I've never done this on an audio podcast. So let's see if I can pull this off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so when in, from, as, from the app perspective, it's literally one line of code. You add one line of code and you forget about it and it just works. When there is a bug or a crash or some sort of a detection of a misbehavior, then the, we upload the, record, the last 60 seconds of recording of data into our dashboard. And when you open the dashboard, and the, which generates an email, a Slack, a Slack, a Note, or Jira, Atlassian, whatever you want, we integrate with like 28 probably different bug reporting collaboration tools. So when you click on the link that go, takes you to the Bugsy dashboard, what you see is the top left corner, there is a video uh, with the proper orientation the user was holding that. So you can play and play at different speeds and obviously fast forward it. You can see all the touch events and it was a pinch and it was a drag. You will see all of these things showing there. At the bottom side, you see all the traces. Again, synchronous to the video. So you see, for example, Bluetooth was on during the entire past 60 seconds or it was toggling the app was in background or foreground the 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 phone was connected to lte or wi-fi or had no internet at all so tons of different traces then there is a, a tab that shows you the, inf- the general information about the hardware of the phone and the software of the the os installed on the phone as well as the as the version of your app and the build and all this kind of information and if it's a crash we also show you statistics breaking uh, broken down by hardware by software, uh, by OS version, as well as over time. Then there is the next tab where we show you the call stack, where we show you where the app had crashed in the file name and line number. Interestingly enough, on there, there is a side note here. If you go to crashprop.com slash iOS, which is a website owned by HockeyApp, that's owned by, sorry, it's managed by HockeyApp, owned by Microsoft, that compares all the crash reporting tools on a on the market in terms of the quality of their symbolication, the ability to take the crash report and convert it in a file name, file, name, a file name and line number, we actually hold the number one spot there. There are 22 different crashes in two platforms, 32 and 64 bits, so there are total 44 types of different crashes. And they, we get 39 of, 39 of them correctly, one imprecisely, and the other four we don't, and we hold the number one spot in that lineup, which had nothing to do with all the other things we do. It's just on the aspect of symbolication. So after the same call stack, we show you the console log, everything the app was printing with timestamps that you can see synchronous to the video traces and touch events. 
and the next tab you can see the network request and then if you click on and again well again with timestamps and synchronous to the video but if you click on every single timestamp click on the network request you can see all the details you know what the request was as well as what the server came back with whether it's your server third-party server we record everything and then you can try to analyze what was actually the reason for the problem and then in the top right corner you have the integration with variety of bug reporting tools and what's his name and collaboration tools and then we have a section for comments we can leave comments there and collaborate with your team as well so that's in a nutshell what you would see in our dashboard and you can see it live in bugsy.com slash demo I'm looking at the traces and events that where, where it shows that all, all the different things that happen, like orientation changes and Bluetooth mm-hmm. on off that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It it actually looks a lot. It's a it's a timeline view, right? So it looks a lot like kind of like instruments, which is pretty cool that you can see all that you know remotely after the fact. Yeah, so it's exactly it's a timeline view of everything that happened prior to the event. Up, to, it's by default sixty seconds, but you can kind of you can adjust that. So you're a developer. You hear this, you think this looks really cool. What's what's your pricing model? So our pricing model, you know, we have a free free tier up to five devices. You can run Bugsy on your phone, on your iPad, on your team member. But if you want to take it to you know a wider team or to production, the plan starts with hundred dollars a month, and we we scale our pricing along with along with your success. So if you're a consumer app. Then, you know, when your app goes to hundreds of thousands of millions of users, then, you know, well, pricing goes up. If you're an enterprise app, then it's slightly different scale, but the same concept. So we scale Bugsy with them, how many devices you deploy, deploy Bugsy on. Well, do you, uh, I was trying to see if you have any kind of pay per device, but it sounds like you, you just scale from the free tier right up to the, to the next, next one. Yes. Correct. Have you, you know, this is, this is, a crowded space. You're doing something pretty cool with with all the data you're collecting, and particularly the video, which I think is the thing that just stands out when I first hear about it. But 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 there are competitors. Hockey app being one of them, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, how how have you seen adoption go? You're absolutely right, Andrew. This is a very crowded space, and the, so it has its own challenges. But the, interestingly enough, if you look at a lot of developer spaces, you will notice that. Over time, when the market matures, a lot of developers gravitate around 90% towards one solution. So that's GitHub is one example. Slack is another example. There's many other examples where, you know, within each space, everyone over time gravitates towards one solution. Interestingly enough, that hasn't happened in our space. There is no no player in the in the crash bug reporting space that owns 90% of solution, that everybody just automatically gravitates in a in a, in a in the idea of, you know, nobody gets fired for choosing IBM. So that hasn't happened. So in my mind, there's a huge opportunity to come in and do and provide a superior product on every possible aspect and win the mind share of developers. And we're hoping to do that. Well, for better or for worse, it's also something that is relatively easy to change. You know, you, you start a new app and you think, ah, I don't like the crash reporting system we're using. Let's try something new. It's not necessarily a huge thing to switch over to it like switching your entire company over to a different you know git provider or or like slack or something so i hope that's a good thing for you because you you seem like you're offering something that's pretty cool compared to what's out there 
So I think you're absolutely right. And sometimes it's a disadvantage for us. It's placed to our advantage because everybody has to use some sort of a solution. And because we're a new player in the space, the fact that it's easy to go and try us, it's a huge element for us. You support a bunch of different platforms, too. You know, we're, our, our listeners are iOS developers. I'm an iOS developer. But you, it's, it seems like you support all of the major mobile development yeah, so we support uh, two native platforms, iOS and Android, and we support two high, sorry, four hybrid platforms, Cordova, React Native, Xamarin, and Unity. Yes, and we have customers in all, all six situations, obviously. I also see on your website that you support Chrome. How does that work? Well, in the early days of Bugsy, we also wanted to explore with where else can we use uh, this idea of video recording and the, and traces, and we build a Chrome plugin. Uh, so we have a Bugsy for Chrome. So if you go to bugsy.com slash web, that's where we have a Chrome plugin. But by the nature of being a small company with limited uh, resources on engineering and the uh, marketing efforts, we actually decided to keep it in beta for now uh, until we, you know, we have more research to be able to explore it. And right now our focus is exclusively mobile. So we have customers who use the, that use the Chrome solution, but we don't charge for that. We want them to continue using it. Sometimes they come, you know, and ask us to fix something. We obviously do that. But when they come, it's like, well, now we need it for Firefox and we need it for other browsers. Like, okay, it's an hour to do this, but not in the immediate future because we simply decided to focus right now on the mobile arena. What are your plans for the future? One of the things I always worry about when I hear about a service like this is that they're going to get acquired by Facebook and shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how you know how much you can or want to talk about, but do you is this something you want to build into a to a you know long term business or are you going for a short term? Let's do this and make a billion dollars and <laughs> retire to an island kind of thing. <laughs> well, here's the thing: businesses are. You know, you can't build a business that your goal is to sell it because that means you don't have an alternative, which means my goal is to build an independent, successful company that has can stand on its own legs. Yes, there is a high probability that one of the outcomes that somebody will come and offer us to buy us, but I want to be in a position where I don't have to take this offer. Therefore, my goal is to build a successful, independent company and However, I'm not discounting the fact that there is a chance that somebody will come and will be interested in acquiring Bugsy. Sure, and that happens, but I, I always am a little skeptical of a company who is going going into business with the sole goal of being acquired. And because I agree with you entirely, yes. You you just your motivations are going to be very different than they uh, are when absolutely. you're trying to build a sustainable business. So that's a good Abs- thing to hear. Absolutely, yes. You have to build an independent, sustainable business. And if somebody comes along interested in you, have a discussion, but don't be forced to take that deal or trying to build a business all around just you know for that conversation to happen in the future. Yeah, it, you you seem like uh, you have some pretty interesting and cool technology here in terms of the you know all all of the tracing and video recording stuff that you've got. And it kind of sounds to me like there are some directions you could go that go beyond the the crash and, and bug reporting into uh, maybe testing stuff. It seems like this could be pretty useful in a continuous integration or continuous you know, continuous integration or you know testing automated testing setup. Is that something you've explored or thought about at all? So testing is definitely something we're looking into. Another aspect that they also very adjacent to what we do is a UI UX research. So let's say, for example, 
you have a buy button in your app and you wonder what is the user experience leading up to the buy button why they decide to go there what how long did how many clicks and what's the experience of making sure that they actually buy something from you so we actually have a solution for that already when you can say every time the user play clicks the buy button take whatever bugs he had recorded and upload it so basically trigger the upload not through a bug or through a crash but rather through an internal event within the system which is a hugely powerful tool for ui ux research to understand what is the user experience and that gives you the ability to do real user monitoring of people in production worldwide and not you know not trying to guess what is you know they're really facing in, in reality so that's number one Another thing that the bugs is often used in right now that we're monitoring very closely is so there is bug and crash reporting, but there is another case where the developer writes their code and then they decide, you know what, this variable should never go below seven. I can't imagine a scenario this variable goes below seven. But if it does, I want to know about that, right? And just like I can't imagine that scenario, so I want to see what that would be. So, you know, again, similarly to what I described with the buy button, you can say I want to trigger Bugsy upload every time this variable goes, goes below seven. And then again, we package what we already record by the time we upload it. It doesn't impact the user. It doesn't crash the app. There is no UI of any shape or form, but it gives the developer huge visibility of what's going on with their product in, in real time and in real life and gives them clues around what's the experience of the user, what how the variable got to below seven. So there's a lot of options there. Yeah, that, I mean, I see I see a lot of use there. Uh, doing things like A-B testing when you introduce a new feature, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can get some, a lot, it seems like you get a lot richer data than the typical just, you know, analytics that you get when you're trying to do A-B testing for something new or a new UI design or, or mm-hmm. whatever. That's, that's pretty cool. I'd like to see you, you know, expand more into that as it makes sense. Thank you, thank you. And one of the things that we do well is, you know, a lot of analytics tools, they actually tell you, you know, go and figure out what you want to track, implement, add all these tracking tools, then release the app, then wait a couple of weeks to collect the data, and then go look back. In our case, you add one line of code and re-record everything, right? So, you know, in that sense, whatever, every time you change what you look, want to look for, we already recorded it, just go back to the existing data. So that saves a lot of time for developers. Yeah, cool. That's that's very cool, and that's true. And I and and you know that's an, another problem. There is that I've I've put analytics in apps in almost every app I've ever worked mm-hmm. on. It seems like uh, at least lately, and it's hard to figure out what what am I supposed to track here? Exactly. Know? Where does it make sense to instrument this? Mm-hmm. We're getting a little low on time. Is there anything you think we really ought to cover about Bugsy or or you or or anything else before we get to picks and wrap up? No, I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay, if somebody's interested in Bugsy, what do they what do they do? Where do they go? And we'll put links in the show notes. But absolutely. So the the best way is Bugsy.com. Everything is there. Our documentation. There is a link to an article that says "Is Bugsy any good?" that tries to outline in details everything that we do and how we do it differently. So it's right there on the top. There is a live demo Bugsy.com/demo. And then uh, there is a chat at the bottom uh, right corner where you can just open and just chat to me on the one of the teams who is manning the Slack on the other end at the same time. Or you can email me directly. It's fishman at gmail, at, sorry, fishman at bugsy.com. And I'm always uh, happy to hear from our potential customers, and I'm always very responsive. Thanks, Alex. And for those listening, Bugsy is, is bug, C-S-E-E, like you can see bugs. when you Exactly. That's the idea. You see the bug, yeah. Uh, and their their logo is an anteater. I think it's an anteater. And it's it is, an, yeah, it's an, it is. It's actually designed by our CTO. 
So before we get to picks, I want to talk about one last thing, which is I saw you at AltConf this year in San Jose, and I, I actually saw you there last year. Last year, you were giving out fidget spinners. Yes. Uh, of course, I, I still have my Bugsy fidget spinner. Fidget spinners are completely out of style now. Nobody uses them anymore. What were you doing this year? So yeah, so last year, for some reason, we, we decided we don't want to be like everybody else giving out t-shirts. So we, you know, last year, fidget spinners was all the rave, and we, you know... We wanted to be part of it, so it was an amazing success. This year, obviously, nobody cares about the fidget spinners anymore, so we, you know, tried to do something else. And uh, what happened completely independently, both my co-founder and I have, uh, you know, kind of fallen back into our use to try to play with Rubik's Cubes. And, you know, trying, uh, started playing with it independently, then started comparing notes, and then we decided, okay, how about with the Rubik's Cube at this conference? And uh, so the at first, we said, well, you know, we've seen it not working for others at previous conferences where people trying to give out Rubik's Cube because, you know, it's been around for 30 years and people are kind of don't care about this anymore. But we said, you know, we're going to do it slightly differently. So, we, you know, we had Rubik's Cube, but we also, you know, we give the teaching sessions, sessions where we actually explain how to solve the Rubik's Cube, how to think about solving the Rubik's Cube. So we had lessons there. We also had the competition because, as you can imagine, among the developer community, there's a lot of very smart people who know how to solve Rubik's Cube very fast. They're what's called speed cubers. So we had bought a professional equipment uh, to measure the timing of a Rubik's Cube a solution, and we offered people to participate. And we had a very nice attendance there. And the, funny enough, number one spot in our competition was taken by no other than Felix Krauss from Fastlane. He was there. He was passing by. He's a big Rubik's Cube fan. And he solved it in 30-something seconds. And the, he took the number one spot. Oh, that's actually cool. the yeah, the world record is actually 4.6 seconds. 4.2 seconds, excuse me. If you've never seen it, look up a video of, of speed. I think they call themselves speed cubers that, that, yeah. that do try to set these world records. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 30 seconds is still pretty darn fast. I, yes. I, I used to know how to do a Rubik's Cube probably 15 years ago, and, and I was never very fast at it, but I could solve one, and then I forgot. I picked up one of your Rubik's Cubes at AltConf, and uh, when I got home, thought I want to learn how to solve this thing again. So there are lots of YouTube tutorials out there that teach you how to solve one. And it's actually pretty fun because there are algorithms that you use. You, you, you identify patterns in the cube and then there are algorithms that you can use to manipulate uh, the cube to get it you know, into states you want. You'll never figure out how to, you'll never solve a Rubik's cube just trying your on your own without knowing any of those tricks. Um, there are too many. I actually disagree with you. I actually disagree with you. And that's exactly what we taught at the conference. We actually taught people how to think about solving the Rubik's Cube without memorizing a single algorithm, without looking up any algorithms, without trying, but but rather understanding and, and developing the intuition around solving the Rubik's Cube on your own. That's oh. exactly what we did. Oh, interesting. I'd like to yeah. learn that. I, I really meant like sitting down. Nobody's ever talked to you about the thing before and you just play with it for you'll play with it for a long time before you figure yeah. out how to solve it. So usually it takes me about two to three minutes to give you enough intuition how to solve it on your own. I mean, I'm not going to show you how to solve it, but I will give you enough intuition that after a few hours of practice, you will get it to the point where you actually solve it yourself. Do you have a link we can put in the show notes for people that want to learn more about solving a Rubik's Cube? Yes, I will uh, follow up with you separately uh, with the link that actually explains the intuition. Okay. Very similar to what we were trying to do with WWDC this year. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap up and get to picks. Alex, do you have a pick for us? For you, the listeners of the iFreak Show, 
Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Absolutely. So recently I discovered a YouTube channel called Veritasium that's ran by Derek Muller from a, it's a Canadian, an Australian born Canadian scientist who talks about various, various scientific topics. And he is a great presenter and a very entertaining and a very interesting way that he presents. And I love watching every, every new video that he puts out. Cool. YouTube always seemed like one of those things that's for people to, that are younger than me. <laughs> um, but lately I've been finding more and more channels that are actually things that I really like and care about. And it's pretty fun to, to watch stuff that you yeah. know, would never, you, it would not have been on TV 10 years ago. Yeah. YouTube allows us to see these things that just wouldn't Absolutely. have before. Yeah, I was captivated by this channel and Veritasium is a brilliant name because Veritas is truth and Veritasium sounds like an element of a, on an element table. Yep. So I think it's, yeah, it's br brilliant. Very cool. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to pick a YouTube channel of my own, in fact, and I, I'm not sure if I've picked this one before or not, but it's a channel called Techmoan. Techmoan is a guy, he's a, he's a British guy, and he does videos mostly about either obsolete technology or media players. So any kind of recording media, video, audio, cameras, that sort of thing. I've been fascinated by those things ever since I was a kid. And um, he finds the most obscure formats and players and recorders and, and shows them off. And it's old and new stuff. I think it's really cool. So Techmoan, that's my pick. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Alex. It was great to talk to you. If people want to want to find you personally, uh, are you on Twitter? Are you around? Yes. Yes, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is FishmanAlex. Last name, first name. That's pretty straightforward. And I'm on LinkedIn, Alex Fishman. And uh, yeah, I don't have Facebook. Oh, congratulations. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show. We'll talk to you later and see everybody next week. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.